Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast, the brief, though weekly show about politics. And I'm Marcus Melitzis. I'm here with Carrie Alavelt. I am so excited for two major reasons. Two major reasons. First, the band is finally back together. <laughs> Woo! So Carrie and I are back on the saddle. For We're ready for hot takes. Hot takes. It's a hot takes cast right and, now. And two, I'm excited because we won big last night again. And Carrie, look, we're going to start off with a major disagreement. Major disagreement right off the top, right? Because Right off the I top. Think, sparks flying. I don't think we're going to have any hot takes because nothing we're saying today is different than what we've been saying since we started this a couple years ago. They're the hottest takes. The ones that we already had because we had them way before anybody else did. <laughs> this is a hot debate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to say, well, you know, they're, they're, they're takes. They're, they're smart takes. They are correct takes. Karen, what have we been saying? What have we been saying since, I don't even remember. We've been saying that the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade at the Supreme Court would dramatically reshape the political landscape to the Democrats' benefit. We said that from the moment that Alito decision leaked. And Remember, Alito's, you know, condescendingly wrote in that decision, like, women have choices if they don't like it. And, you know, right there, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, okay, now we're seeing what that looks like. <laughs> it looks pretty freaking great, I got to say. It looks Two, good for Democrats. We've been saying that voters are really freaked out at the challenges to our democracy that Donald Trump and his, and his merry band of MAGA nihilists Post to this nation, this threat to our democracy. And once again, we've seen it in special election after special election. We've seen it in general election in 2022. We see it again now, 2023. And not only is it delicious because we won, and you know, I'll quickly do a quick rundown of what we won last night, but not only did we win, but we did in a week where people were freaking out over the stupid freaking New York Times poll that gave us the shocking knowledge that battleground states are battlegrounds. Carrie, how blown away were you? I, I was freaked out to find that things were really competitive in those uh, in those battleground states. Freaked out. Um, and I was under the covers for probably 24 hours straight and before I could get a cup of coffee in me and regroup. But let me just say real quick, okay? I've written a lot about these recent polls. I don't want anyone to freak out about any of these recent polls. What we do know is things are competitive next year. And yes, for the presidential and... The race isn't for most, I'm telling you that for most Americans, they haven't even quite, you know, not the people listening to our podcast because they're, they're kind of a little, you know, politically geeky, nerdy, yeah. like we are, right? You're smart. <laughs> you're yeah, yeah, right. Podcast, you're the smart one. <laughs> right. You're smart. You want to be the smartest one in the room. So you're listening to us, of course. So there's most Americans haven't even figured it out or, or made peace with the fact that we are likely looking at a Biden Trump rematch. And so they're not even in the headspace to consider what that means. And there's no doubt that on both sides, I mean, Trump is much more hated by many people. Um, he's much more polarizing in that sense. But no one's super excited about this rematch. I mean, I, I shouldn't say no one. We'll, we'll get to this. 
it's, it's, read my stuff. Read my we, stuff on the we poll. Will, we will get to this in this show. And I, I guys, this show's probably going to go a little longer than, than usual because we actually have a lot to unpack from last night. So just to give a, a quick sort of recap, last night we had statewide elections in Kentucky and in Mississippi. And we had legislative races in Virginia and New Jersey and a couple other states. And then we had a bunch of school board elections. We had a bunch of county commissioner type elections. We had a bunch of mayoral races. And at the end of the night, without getting into the nitty gritty deals, let's just say Democrats won big. They won the Kentucky governor's race. And I don't, I don't wanna understate just how big that was. Kentucky is one of the reddest states in the country. It is the most evangelical state in the country. 45% of Kentuckians are conservative evangelicals. Yet Steve Beshear, the Democratic incumbent governor, won by a bigger margin than he did this first time around. And he Andy, Andy Beshear. Andy, Andy, Andy Beshear. Andy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only did he win with uh, a bigger margin, but he did so running on abortion rights. And he did so running on protecting trans kids and fighting back against transphobia. And the Republicans thought, again, they keep making this mistake, right? They thought that trans issues would drive people to the polls and, and would win big. And because and, they live in this bubble where they, they think people care about things like this. And and, and Carrie, I, I don't think I've told anybody this, but um, I was I was on the in the green room with Pat McCrory uh, on Meet the Press a few months ago. And Pat McCrory is the former North Carolina governor, Republican North Carolina governor, who in 2016, um, in that cycle, signed the anti-transgender bathroom bill that didn't allow kids to go or, or any transgender Americans to go into the bathroom that corresponded with their um, gender presentation and identity. Okay. So is it a hateful bill? Because where do you go if you, you know, don't look like what you, what supposedly you're supposed to look like, and then you go to the other bathroom. I mean, it's truly, it's, I, I actually face this as a gender nonconforming person, except that I'm not trans, but anyway, so it was very hateful. And then he lost his reelection in yes. 2016, in a year when Republicans swept the country. In a Southern state. In a Southern state. Good job, Pat McCrory. Anyway, so I'm just giving some, I just wanted to no, fill out the picture of context. Pat McCrory. Yeah. Because I was in the green room with Pat McCrory at Meet the Press, NBC Studios, and he told me that he was ahead of his time back in 2000, what was it, 15, that now the issue and he, the euphemism he used was women in sports was going to uh, counterbalance the abortion issue with voters and lead them Republicans to victory, not only this year, but also next year. And I was like, women in sports, you mean like young women being molested by coaches? Or do you mean equal pay for equal work? Uh, do you mean, no, I mean, what do you, it was this trans, you know, girls in girl sports like they they really he's really he can't let that go carrie it's been how many years he no. lost because of this. he cannot let it go and i think his party can't let it go either 
Oh, they cannot. And they, they cannot. And, and what, you know, what's so interesting, are we going to play that ad? Because we should go into, yeah. are we going to, should we stop and play that? The, okay. Yeah, so Carrie, just give remember, some context there. Yeah. Right. So just remember, we're going to play for you an ad put out by Andy Bashir's campaign, right? And it features a woman who was a rape victim at 12 years old. And she talks about what's like, what it would be like to be forced to carry to term with a no exceptions abortion ban, which was originally what uh, what hit, what Andy Bashir's opponent, what Cameron's what's Cameron's first name? Do you remember Cameron? Is it Daniel? Oh, it's ideas, but <laughs> no, 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 Daniel, Daniel Cameron. Okay, so I wasn't making that up. So Daniel Cameron, who is the Republican running against Bashir, right, originally held the position of a very hard line no exceptions, abortion ban. And she's going to talk about what it's like. Okay. But I just want you to be clear too, that on the other side of Bashir running this, Cameron's campaign is running these anti-trans ads attacking Bashir because Bashir, you know, on the different social issue, right. But all, all based around freedom and bodily autonomy vetoed a bunch of anti-LGBTQ and trans legislation um, that was put forward by the Republican-led legislature. So you've got this, these battling, these dueling social issues. Okay, let's hear this ad from uh, the Bashir campaign. I was raped by my stepfather after years of sexual abuse. I was 12. Anyone who believes there should be no exceptions for rape and incest could never understand what it's like to stand in my shoes. This is to you, Daniel Cameron. To tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. I mean, it turns out that forcing a 12-year-old girl to carry to term is not popular. Yeah, it's, um, again, I, I just really want to stress the context because this is probably the most anti-abortion state in the country if you were to look at, at just the religious composition of the state and politically. This is Mitch McConnell's home state. This is Rand Paul. This is, this is a state that produces some of the worst freaking Republicans. And this ad was considered, I, I think a year ago, that ad would have been considered political suicide by the supposed smart people, right? Because um, they had a script. And the script is you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta avoid social issues. You can't talk about abortion. You can't, you can't uh, be divisive. Uh, and maybe if you do talk about, about abortion, you just gotta mention that it's icky, like, you, you know, and it's been such a sea change that in the, one of the most conservative states in the country, that ad ran. and. I've seen interviews, Carrie, you probably saw them too in, in today's media coverage where Republicans are saying that that ad, like specifically that ad was an absolute gut punch to Cameron's campaign. And we're going to see that ad in every race in this coming year, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and not that specific ad, but the localized version of that ad, because that story yeah. can be told in every district in every state. Absolutely. And, and it, it may be, you know, some can say, well, 
you know, certain people, you know, Cameron started to shift his position and say, well, if I was elected, I would sign into law and exceptions for, you know, rape and incest or whatever, because suddenly he saw the light. You know, I I mean, he didn't say that, but I'm just I'm kind of joking because it's just preposterous that you couldn't understand what a horrible situation this would be, what a like truly tragic, horrible situation this would be in in any case, you know, but so. But I just want to be clear, too. If you're talking about exceptions, then you're talking about a ban. Okay? Yeah. If if, if, if people are like, oh, no, there's exceptions, they're talking about a ban. But and it, a ban's a ban. It's not even, I mean, yeah, of course, of course, that part. But I would go beyond that because now a lot of the, the messaging is, well, we only, we only want 12 weeks. We only want 15 weeks. We only want this. We only want that. They used to say that it was going to be a state's decision. And as soon as the Supreme Court kicked abortion back to the states, Republicans started agitating and voting on federal bans. They will never stop. And so you have this new people like Sean Hannity are, are like uh, you're seeing it all over the conservative media where they're like, this issue's kicking our butt. Like they finally figured it out. <laughs> like, congratulations. It only took you two cycles of losing. You know what? You know, what's shocking to me, Marcos, is that they weren't listening, listening to our podcast, you know, a year ago <laughs> when we doing? clocked this. Right. I mean, <laughs> political malpractice, political malpractice. So I, I've been laughing because you're like, it's messaging, it's messaging the the Democrats are lying about our position and we need to counter that. That problem isn't that voters don't hear their message. The problem is that voters absolutely understand what Republicans are trying to do and they're not buying the bullshit. Yeah, that well, is the Republicans' problem. And and they had a candidate who tried to do what they thought they could do, which was sort of reclaim the, the abortion issue, right? And that was Glenn Youngkin mm-hmm. in, in Virginia. I mean, he wasn't a candidate. Oh, yeah. He wasn't up for election. Yeah. But his, but his, but his, his campaign was on many different things. I mean, he – listen – Virginia voters got two years of this guy and they were like, we are giving the keys to the car to the Democrats because this guy is a radical right wing lunatic in a red vest. Right. He may look like suburban guy, but he's a radical. Can I just say on the abortion issue, they were they were what he was trying to do was he he dumped actually one point four million dollars, I think, into his super PAC into this whole rebranding campaign where he was saying, it's not a 15 week abortion. It's a 15 week limit. Okay. And that's not, it's not a ban. I mean, these are literally from that super PACs um, ad that they put out on. It's not a ban. The truth is it's not a ban. It's a limit. It's a 15 week limit. Okay. So voters saw through that in a heartbeat. That didn't work. And this is a real problem for Republicans all across the country because they think that the compromise position is the 15 week ban. The Susan B. Anthony's pro-life, you know, list or whatever it is, the premier anti-abortion group in the country. And if you go to their website and it says their goal their ultimate goal is to get rid of abortions, zip, zero, none, ever, for any reason, no exceptions. That is their ultimate goal. But they have given, because they're get, because Republicans are getting their butts kicked on this, they have given the Republican Party this, this you know, leeway to sort of settle on a 15-week abortion ban because they think that that's going to be palatable to the American people, okay? And- Glenn Youngkin probably made the boldest 
attempts so far to reframe that ban as not a ban, as a limit. And it did not work, not even close, even with money behind it, even with advertising behind it. So anyway, you go ahead. Yeah, Virginia, it's a great segue to Virginia. And there's some context here that I think is, is, is actually very salient. It's Glenn Youngkin won in 2021, which was it was a decent cycle for Republicans. I mean, Virginia is a pretty much it's a it's a purple to blue state. And for the Republicans to retake the governorship for the first time in, I don't know, three, four gubernatorial cycles was actually a big, big deal. Not only that, but they won control of the state house and they were two votes from the state Senate. It, it came pretty, pretty close. That same year in New Jersey, the Democrats almost lost a governor's race and lost some ground in the legislative battle. So it was like, okay, Biden was elected. Uh-oh, like here's, here's the usual party in the White House loses elections, right? And after the Dobbs decision, that sort of flipped. But Youngkin won in large part. He didn't talk about abortion when he, he ran for governor. It was, it oh, was no. zip. And his biggest masterstroke was keeping Donald Trump away. Because Donald Trump wanted to come campaign. And I don't know what they told him, but Trump stayed away from Virginia. He stayed away from New Jersey. They somehow convinced him to, to stay the F out. Um, he did. And that allowed Youngkin to portray himself as a moderate, um, even though there was a secret recording of him admitting that he was anti-abortion and that first he needed to get elected to put that agenda. Uh, but it didn't get a lot of play with the broader public. So now he's elected and, and he, you know, these guys, they, they can't hide their stripes. And so he's in power and he's pushing this rebrand on abortion. The political media is fawning over him. I mean, he got some he got a tongue bath the last couple of months from all the political New York Times and Washington Post. They were even saying that he might even uh, challenge Donald Trump for the presidency because because these anti-Trump Republicans are looking for a candidate that can beat him. And he had his whole thing set up where he was going to make his big decision at the end of this month. And he really thought that he was going to get the trifecta, that he was going to flip the Democratic Senate, hold the Democratic House, and that he would ride that as a glorious you know, picture of the future of the Republican Party. Look how moderate he is. He only wants to restrict some rights, not all the rights. And, uh, and the voters were like, yeah, no. <laughs> and not only the Democrats hold the state Senate, but they flipped the state House. And now the Democrats control both chambers of the legislature. And Duncan, is, he's done. He, he announced today that he's not running for president. Like, you know, and this idea that he was the savior of the Republican Party has just absolutely cratered because people are not interested in fake, you know, claims of like moderation on abortion. Because, Carrie, there's two options, right? There's either if you're a Republican, if you're saying you're going to compromise, but you've spent 50 years saying abortion is legal, uh, is uh, murder. Mm -hmm. How does that land? It doesn't make your people happy, right? Because they have an agenda to eliminate all abortion because abortion is murder. We wouldn't say like, you know what, it's murder's bad, but you know, until somebody's 12 years old, you can murder. <laughs> you, know, like it does, you don't do that, right? So murder is murder. So you can't compromise on murder. And this is the bind that Republicans are in is that they convince their base that abortion's murder. And now they're saying like, never mind, it's only murder after a certain level and it's not landing. And the rest of the public are like, yeah, we know what you really want because you've been cleared. You've said abortion is murder for 50 years. We know you can't compromise on that. 
So Young can try this trick. Not only it didn't work, but it actually, I think it backfired because people saw like, oh, we didn't know he was an anti-abortion nut. Now we know. And yeah. his party got punished. Among, I will say, among other issues, he was he's a real radical. I mean, number he wanted to make tax cuts for wealthy corporations and individuals permanent. They were tax cuts that had been implemented, I think, during the pandemic. He wanted to um, he, he had already put forth some anti-trans policies that prevented people, you know, from, uh, you know, getting transition care and things like that. Um, and how you could, you know, and, and, and also made it mandatory that if, I think if they were talking about it at school, their parents needed to, to, um, be informed, I think, gosh, I hope I'm not making that up, but anyway, it was, he, he definitely had a slew of anti-trans policies that he signed in via executive order. Um, he also, uh, you know, wanted to roll back gun restrictions, although he talked about that on the campaign trail and hadn't really, you know, made strides toward it, probably because he didn't have the votes for it, um, you know, <clears throat> unless he unless they were able to reclaim um, both chamber or reclaim one of the chambers and have full control. Um, and what? Oh, and he and there were voting rights, extra voting rights, uh, more access to the ballot put in place during the pandemic that he wanted to roll back. So he is like legitimately like a social right wing conservative, along with wanting to do permanent tax cuts. You know, your standard like fiscal conservative, you know, Republican. Um, but his but his social policies are oh and he supported book bans he he oh, yeah. put forth yeah. some executive orders on book bans and and be you know how and what could be in school libraries and things like that I mean it was it was it was a he had a wildly right wing agenda um, you know wrapped in this like suburban guy red vest I'm gonna use that as a as a as a uh, sort of transition, quick transition into school board elections because these were big. Two years ago, Moms for Liberty, which is this radical uh, book burning organization, they had, I think what was about 50, 60% success rate in school board elections. Even in a 2022 was a democratic year. People didn't know who they were. They didn't realize what their agenda was, right? They were sort of very stealthy. In the last two years, people have been organizing against them. Uh, they're not so stealthy anymore. And it's it's uh, that book burning agenda really is not doesn't play very well. It's not very popular. And so what we saw is that last night their success rate was about thirty percent, and that you know it's going to include districts in states and in areas that are very conservative, right? So you know they inherently we're going to they're always going to win some depending on where their location. But seeing that success rate uh, crater, I think is an incredibly good sign. We also saw. Um, in Ohio, we saw a, um, an abortion rights amendment get enshrined in a constitution by double digits. Wasn't particularly close. It was funny, the New York Times had a story that said that it was surprising how much success Democrats were having in- The unexpected, abortion. unexpected Unex success yeah. of, Unexpe of, of six straight uh, ballot measures, abortion right ballot measures, and then on a top of it, a seventh with Ohio last night, but the unexpected what? success. Who yeah, could have unexpected. seen it coming? You and know what? Here, can I just say, Marcos, I don't mean to blow your mind, but people like rights and they don't like it when they're <laughs> taken away. I, mind blowing. Mind blowing. And what was funny though is that in that same sort of headline, right? They also said 
that Ohio was going to be their biggest test yet. And I mean, the polling was never close, right? It wasn't particularly there was there there was there was not a lot of suspense about how that was going to turn out. And it was good seeing that yeah, it won and it won by double digits. But nobody should have been surprised. So it absolutely cracks me up to see the the uh, the um, Beltway media, the political media, act like this is some kind of shocking revelation that people like rights and that they're voting that way, and that they're turning out to vote. And it almost speaks to their the credulousness that the political press has had over the last couple of decades and just believing whatever the right wing puts out, right? It's like the right wing has set the agenda. And, oh, the right wing says that Americans don't like abortion. Well, okay, I guess that must be right. And it's been a frustrating um, part of my work. And what Daily Coast was really, that's why Daily Coast exists, because we sort of emerged from that world. We're like, why is everybody gaslighting us? Like, you know, what is this, you know, what is this nonsense? Everybody says is what Americans want when they clearly don't. We got polling here that says otherwise. And, uh, and now we have election results that say, say otherwise. And yet you still had the political press all shocked. And there was another example, which was um, Politico had a story a month ago saying that uh, in New Jersey, the school board issue was really going to hurt Democrats, that people wanted parental rights. And by parental rights, they were talking about things like the book uh, um, bans and and, oh, you know, a book has a reference to, to sex and, and or to gay people. And therefore, parents are furious. And, and there was this whole thing about how the Republicans were going to make major gains in state legislate, legislative races because of parental rights. And, of course, as I just said, Democrats actually gain ground in those state legislatures. And uh, in political today, that same author today had to be like, okay, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess, uh, I, and actually the headline was very clever. I had to say, it's like, I guess that's why they call it, a, call them the blue state. Um, and it is, right? But it's amazing seeing how credulous a lot of this political media is, despite polls that say, you know, rights are popular, abortion's incredibly, it's, it's, it's uh, two to one. It's 66, yeah. 33 right now on abortion rights. And even J.D. Vance, who is the radical right wing new senator in Ohio, who uh, was elected uh, last last uh, midterm cycle. He had his whole lengthy post on Twitter um, where he said that that he's he's personally so pro-choice and he hates abortion and it's murder. And all those women that abortions are murderers. But that's not where the politics are and that we have to we need a new message. And of course, again, we're back to the, oh, we need to change the message. But even they are, are starting to realize that they are on the outs of the American mainstream public opinion. And there is really something here for us to to latch on to and to really work hard moving into 2024, because it's going to be a tough year. It's a tough map. We're looking better in the House. I think we'll take the House. But the issues of abortion and Donald Trump aren't aren't going away. They're just going to get magnified. And Carrie, we said, like we said, in 2022, this issue, abortion is going to be a big issue, but it's only going to grow because we're seeing stories every day of how people are impacted by the bans that have nothing to do with unwanted children, quote unquote, it has to do with ectopic pregnancies and other medical emergencies. And the horror stories are actually literally horrifying. And they're not just showing up in 
you know, political podcast, they're showing up in People magazine, like in mainstream where, you know, we're quote, regular Americans that, that are non-political junkies, that they're, they're consuming this information. And we've seen just in the data that support for abortion rights has gone up in the last year. I think people just didn't think about it. It's like, eh, you know, Supreme Court protects it, whatever. It's icky, maybe I don't like it. But now that's actually a real issue, people are engaging with it. And no matter how many political people want to say, like, women are going to get over it or it's going to fade, it's not. It's going to become well, more salient. No, no. And 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 what people are faced with is the realities of what tragic situations develop if and what terrible situations people are put in if they don't have access to abortion care in desperate moments in moments where you know a 12 year old girl is 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 sexually abused and raped um in moments where someone desperately wants their child and it turns out they have you know some sort of you know abnormality that is unsurvivable right or that will put the uh, the pregnant person at at risk, right? So, so you what you're seeing play out is the reality of not having abortion access and how that is, you know, and the coverage of that. And let me just say about the political press, um, you know, hopefully they catch up here. I mean, I, I cut my teeth, you know, in sort of in national politics reporting on LGBTQ issues. And I started doing it in 2006 when that was a wedge issue that worked for Republicans and against Democrats. And, you know, Democrats would be like, we're with you. Wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, behind closed doors. But don't tell anyone we're with you. Well, and then they would he go was up. radical and he could never win because he was for civil unions. Yeah, civil unions. But they, they didn't want the LGBTQ advocacy groups to go out and like say anything publicly or, you know, that type of thing. And and they didn't want to profess their support for LGBTQ rights or same sex marriage. I mean, you know, it took it took Barack Obama, who most people think of in his heart of hearts supported same sex marriage. I always say it doesn't matter. It's only what he was saying. And it wasn't until 2012 that he said, I support it. Um, so for a long time, these were social issues that worked um, that tended to work more in favor of Republicans and Democrats were scared of them. And the political press, like so many of them came up in that era in that era that they just don't seem to have caught on yet somehow that these are not wedge issues working for Republicans anymore. They're wedge issues working for Democrats. Abortion is a wedge issue working for Democrats. OK. And, you know, the Pat McCrory's of the world want to want to want to say want to claim trans rights. I mean, it's so hateful and horrible because. You know, transgender individuals are are really a discriminated against uh, minority in this country. Um, it, you know, they suffer from terrible self esteem issues. Uh, you know, the 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 abuse of them, the bullying of them, results in higher suicide rates by a lot. And Republicans are so insistent that this is gonna be an advantage for them. And it's not, it's not an electoral advantage. It hasn't been an electoral advantage in any swing state, in any purple state, in any you know hotly disputed contest. It's only good for them, supposedly good for them in ruby red places where, where it's only the primary that matters, where they're never gonna, you know, there's never gonna be a democratic well, challenge. Yeah, yeah, no, in the right. general election, I don't think there's a single place where it plays right now. If no, it, it never, it, it never plays. But they're insisting 
attention on it. And they're going after trans individuals and trans Americans and in, in, in horrible ways. And I'm just telling you, it never works. And Pat McCrory, of all people, should know better than anybody. But they're insistent on doubling down on this because they don't know what else to do. And they've lost the abortion issue. And they finally realize that it is working against them. And just let me just let me put a fine point on this as a wedge issue. Okay, there are certainly suburban women who used to vote Republican, maybe were soft Republicans, who based on the abortion issue, based on the, the national push by the Republican Party for bans across the country in states and at the national level, voted for, have been voting for Democrats probably for the first time in their lives. Okay. That is a real thing that is happening. I'll tell you what's not happening. Suburban women aren't lying awake at night thinking, gosh, I, I hope my, my kid isn't on the team of a transgender person. I hope there's not a transgender person who is on my child's team. They don't lie awake at night thinking about that. You know what they lie awake thinking it at night? Tell me. If my daughter ever needed abortion care, and I yeah. don't care if she was 12 years old or 42 years old, I want that available to her because I want her to live. Okay. Yes. So, so, so that's, so no one is, no suburban women are lying awake at night over the trans athlete issue, but they are certainly lying awake at night over the abortion issue. And that, yes. and, and Republicans refuse to give in on that. And Democrats, I think, know it's very true. Yeah. And there's a, a friend of, of ours, um, former Daily Coast writer who, who is now a lawyer, but he, he was making a, a, a point. He was saying how, a lot of this anti-trans culture war stuff is being pushed by like old Republicans, right? It's, 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 it's a generation. They're like Xers, right? And boomers. The people that have young children in school and in, in, uh, in um, sports teams, youth sports, they're millennials and they're even on the other, you know, they're on the older side of the, maybe even Gen Y, right? This, they're on the other side of the culture war. They're not like they are post caring about gay people and being afraid of them. And so it lands even worse than they think it does. They think it's like when they were parents and they had small kids and, and, they, and they were scared of the, the, the gays and the, and the groomers and this and that. People up to like 40 right now, they, they don't play with that. They don't buy into that. Polling shows that they're not hateful. And it sort of leads to this theory. It's a developing theory I have. Um, that politics has become about vibes and maybe, maybe it always was, but it's vibes and yeah. the anti-trans stuff, the way it reads to normal people is hateful. And so people may not sit there and argue the intricacies of trans policy and, and, and trans kids in sports and trans bathrooms. They just say like, why are they being assholes to, to kids? Like that's the vibe. And, and, you know, Democrats have their own vibe issues, which is why in places like Mississippi, where we came five points from winning the governor's race, Mississippi should be a purple state, but there is severe uh, voter disenfranchisement of the of the black community. And so there are turnout issues and it's incredibly racially polarized. But people are voting, you know, quote, against their interests, again, because of vibes. Oh, Democrats are hostile to Jesus and you know, whatever the, the, the arguments might be. And, and there was this, 
I'm going to sort of read this tweet because it just blows my mind. And it's, it's by a um, young, young activist. And uh, it went mega viral on Twitter. And it was picked up by a lot of the like high profile, you know, Zoomer uh, activists on Twitter. And th there's this like, we hate Biden sort of vibe that comes out of them, right? And so like, why do you hate Biden? Like, what is it that's so offensive about Biden? And this tweet says, very sarcastically, how can people seriously say they're not gonna vote for Biden considering all he's accomplished in one term? And then the bullet points are student loan forgiveness blocked, Roe v. Wade overturned, Southern border wall being built, offshore drilling permits granted, ceasefire, speaking of Gaza, no. And on all of these, <laughs> like they really wanna blame Joe Biden for the Supreme Court blocking student loan relief, right? And then somebody in, the, in that thread said, you know, like it's not Biden, it's Supreme Court. And they say, well, he should have done an executive order. And people are like, that's what the Supreme Court blocked. He did an executive order like you want, and it was blocked. And then they're like, yeah, then he should fight harder. I mean, it's vibes, right? Like you cannot argue logically with vibes. And so people were arguing, you know, he's anti, he's hostile to labor. It's like he marched with the UAW in Detroit and the auto workers just got an amazing freaking deal. But the train, the train strikers, I, I mean, there's always something, right? Because it's vibes. Right. It's not reality. I mean, people don't understand that that was a gamble he took. He could have gone there and if you know, that that tr that UAW strike had gone on for months, turned to years, and they never got a good outcome in terms of contracts, that would have been horrible for him in a general election. And I am certain that within the White House walls, there was a big discussion about whether or not it was a good idea for him to go. It was the most pro-union thing that any city pre sitting president has ever done by a long Not shot. Nothing even, I don't think a president not, has ever marched with striking workers. Not, no, oh, oh no, not, not even close. Yeah, not and even I am PR. sure, I am sure that they debated and people, and there were people on the side of, don't do this. Just, you know, don't go make a public statement. Don't, you know, that's so high profile. Just wait in the wings, congratulate them if, and when they get a good contract. Instead, he went, he went there before the, before the contracts were laid out. Um, I think they were making progress at the time with Ford, but they certainly weren't anywhere with Stellantis and GM. And he went and did it anyway. And now they have very, very uh, favorable outcome towards the UAW workers. And let me tell you something, those favorable outcomes, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. So even non-union workers in other shops across the country get a little bit of a benefit from the contracts of of the UAW workers Toyota getting did. better, Toyota's not unionized, and they got yes. a similar contract. Yes, exactly. So you so so the they didn't you know some some of these non union workers they don't have skin in the game in terms of they might lose their jobs, but they do get a benefit if the UAW gets a raise. They typically get a raise because. Those car manufacturers who don't have union shops want to at least be competitive with yeah, the with the unionized power. shots, right? Yeah, so, so anyway, I it I mean it is mind boggling. We're kind of off topic, but it it is mind boggling, and I have lots of thoughts that maybe this isn't the best show for. On no, okay, so let, let's, Biden let's, let's and whatever, but but I, I will say that this is 
this is where your original conversation about Biden's numbers really comes into play. So I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring this back to that conversation because Biden's numbers, I know people are freaked out about some of his lower numbers and his low approvals. And I think we're in a place now where low approvals is just normal. Like there's Jesus would have low approval numbers. It doesn't because the other parties can have zero, you know, and you already got half the country saying, I don't like this person. You're at 50 percent. Right. And so you only need a little bit of independence to say we don't like this guy. And you're in the 30s. I don't think that's a problem particularly when he's running against somebody with even lower numbers than Donald Trump. But here's the thing. I think the first response to that tweet that I just that I just talked about said, I hope he can be defeated in the primary. So there's still a sense, a, a lack of realization, which you mentioned, that this is the this is the field. It is it is Biden versus Trump. And I'm not going to get into whether Trump gets indicted, because of course that, that's going to have its own consequences. And that's again for another show. But all things considered, people don't really know or understand or want to believe that right now we're headed towards a rematch. And so saying I don't like Biden, they think opens up space for a primary challenger to, to emerge or to or to even win. I don't even think they know that there's there are primary challengers. Reality is that Biden's actually fairly popular in the Democratic Party. That's why there's no opposition. Because well, it, and he announced his reelect, and no one wants to go through run the you know rerun the the script of being challenged like you know like uh, Kennedy did to Carter in mm-hmm. uh, you know in set in nineteen seventy six, and then Carter got you know or no in uh, nineteen eighty 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 sorry sorry it's nineteen seventy nine eighty, and then Carter got ruined um in in his uh you know in the campaign against um Ronald Reagan, so like n- what people understand is since Biden decided to run again, if he decided to step aside, sure we've had a very lively primary, but there's a lot of loyal Democrats who also don't want to weaken there's no way to run a campaign against Biden right now that doesn't weaken him in the in the general election. Okay? Yeah, I, I don't even think there's an opening. I mean, he's got a, his approval ratings amongst Democrats are in the 80s. Like, what's what's the hook? Well, to- can I can I just say so I, I have I just want to say that I think that next year's political landscape is going to be one of the most complex political landscapes we have ever seen. There's probably going to be third party. Democracy, especially if Trump, if if Nikki Haley, if someone like Nikki Haley ends up being the nominee, which I think is a very slim chance, okay, very slim, as in Trump would have to like, you know, drop dead of a heart attack or something, you know. So if Nikki Haley ended up being the nominee, I would say, okay, this is a completely different race now, but at least we're not rolling the dice on democracy. Okay. Yeah. She's a, con- a believer in the Constitution. I don't like her policies. I the think lowest bar. country. It's a low bar for the Republican Party, and we will take it. Okay. <laughs> we will take people who are, believe in the Constitution because right now the Speaker of the House doesn't believe in the Constitution yeah. and tried to subvert it. Okay. Uh, Republican Speaker of the House, I should be specific. So, you know, th- th- they are two political figures, Joe Biden and and Donald Trump, both of whom have um, who have real problems, like have political problems, okay, and that they have to overcome. And then you're going to have the third parties. And you've got there's been a in the in the background, a political realignment of the normal way people vote, the normal demographic groups and the way they vote over the past, like, you know, uh, two 
cycles that we have, you know, from 2016 until now that we haven't seen in, you know, in decades, right? Um, a real a realignment shift of suburban voters toward Democrats and of working class voters towards Republicans. And, you know, there were a whole bunch of anti-Trump voters who weren't particularly happy about voting for uh, Biden in 2020. And Biden's going to have to win them back over for 2024. And it's a just a very complex, like, we don't know how things are going to play type situation. Okay. So I just, I, I want to be, I just want to be careful. Like I, I think Biden's best, um, you know, at the moment, especially in this political environment where Trump is like, you know, going to trial regularly. He's, you know, he's getting multiple indictments. He's, you know, he's his, his, he might never be able to do business anymore. He might, you know, his business might be bankrupt depending on what happens in this New York civil fraud case. It's not looking good for him. Um, It's not looking good for him. Like he, you know, he is a megawatt candidate who steals all of the juice, all of the oxygen in the room. He, he sort of, you know, it's hard for Joe Biden to get much time, space or energy when Donald Trump is in a, you know, is in a full on meltdown mode. And and I will say that um, I don't want to go at length on this, but I just want to make this point that, you know, Joe Biden, his his campaign um, poured millions of dollars at a very early stage in the campaign to do this into ads in the swing states. Um, touting his his accomplishments were which were many and really amazing giving his slim margins in the in uh, Congress for the first two years of his presidency and he got literally like no bump out of that nothing so it you know it seemed like a good opportunity for him to get get gain an early edge that those millions of dollars they did nothing to move the needle and my and and right. <laughs> Right. And and so right now, I think his best strategy is just to let Trump, you know, help Trump sink himself. They should start doing a bunch of ads that help drive up Trump's negatives, remind people of how of what, you know, like of how cringy it is to have him in the White House all the time, Mm -hmm. like running the federal government. And he's losing it in public events like he's not well. He's I mean, not well. Biden cognitive decline. I mean, Trump is saying the weirdest. Yes. Like nonsense. I mean, he always yeah. was a little off, but it's it's no, it's different. It's gotten right? worse, and I think people, you know, people kind of see they're dismissing the the trials now for a lot of people, except for you know real Trump haters who are delighting in those in all the trials, all the legal ins and outs, right? They're just eating that stuff up. But most people are like, it's just white noise now. There's so much. He's got, you know, how many, you know, indictments against him and on and how many criminal, you know, yeah, and yeah. how many criminal accounts, right? 90 something, right? Yeah. So he's in 91 criminal counts, I think. They can't keep track of it, so it feels like white noise to them. But what it what wouldn't be white noise is highlighting the, his cognitive decline, right? Him yeah. like making claims like, "Oh, I won all 50 states." Oh, really? Did you really win all 50 states? That's amazing, Trump. <laughs> you know, so um, him saying things like, if I get reelected, I'm going to, you know, we're going to start asking people about their religion before they, 
get before they can come into the country. Oh, so not a democracy. We're looking at a theocracy now, right? Okay, so like, you know, like there are things like people need to be reminded of what it's like to be under his regime. And, and I don't will. think we need to, yeah, I mean, and they will. It'll happen, but I think starting now would be just as oh, good yeah, because, yeah. because Biden's Biden can't compete with the amount of energy that Trump takes in, yeah. um, and and all eyes on him. But what they can do is 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 start filling in the gaps of people's knowledge, or at least the you know their what they've forgotten about what it's like to have Trump in the White House, right? And and I think they should poke fun at him. I don't think they should be this like, oh my God, we're going to lose democracy if blah, blah, blah. I think that, I mean, I believe that's true. But like, don't- I mean, there's, a, there's a place and there's a place for that, but it's Don't not, scare yeah. people yet. Poke fun at Trump. I mean, that is that is probably Biden's best weapon and best message at this point in time. And he always takes the bait too. So you know he's gonna like lose his shit if you poke if you poke fun at him. He wants to be taken seriously. And I don't think anything upsets him more than a perceived or real real slight. You know what's interesting is is to me the most effective pro Biden message in the last year was Dark Brandon, which was nothing to do with anything. It was a it was a vibe. Dark it's Brandon a vibe. was a sensation, and it was the first time that he seemed cool. Because before that, right. I was like, I mean, we were very, we were very open and honest in the Democratic it, primary that we're like, yeah, he's old. I mean, it's, it's not no surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not going to pretend. Dark Brandon was the first time he seemed cool, and I already see that at the Republican debate um, tonight. This is this yeah. is on Wednesday, November eighth. That that they have Dark Brandon you know, posters or something. Yeah, they're, in, in, tro they're trolling. They're, yeah, they're trolling, yeah, they're trolling Republicans with, with dark brand and stuff. I think they're, you know, uh, Trump's trying to do this counter programming thing where he's, he's having uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, his former press secretary and now governor of Arkansas endorse him. Boy, that's going to be a barn burner. Um, so, but they're putting up dark Brandon signs around that. We should live blog that. That's that'll really get some views. <laughs> There, Huckabee Sanders go, you know, goes back on the stump and lies for uh, for old Trumpy a little bit more. But um, at least so for the next several months, I mean, Trump is going to be in a lot of courtrooms, and it's the old political adage, right? Like, if you see your opponent drowning, like throw him an anchor. Like, there, there's, it's yes. like, look, there he is. <laughs> yes, and it and does not play well. Even that poll, that everybody's freaking out about that CNN New York Times poll found that if he was convicted of any of those counts, that his support plummeted. I don't know oh. if I believe it because the whole puzzle, but I no, don't but know if he, yeah, it'll hurt him to a certain it'll, degree. It'll, it'll, it'll hurt him. I think what, you know, what people, what you see in that is people's aversion to, oh, you mean we're going to send a convict to the White House? Like there's something that just doesn't feel good about that. And I got to tell you, among young voters who are deeply invested in justice, right? The idea that we're going to take a convict and put him in the White House, like the white guy who got convicted of criminal acts gets to go back to the White House and run the country. I just think on a gut level for, you know, um, for Generation Z, um, for the youngest voters, that is just, they, they cannot imagine like white guy gets off scot-free at, you know, and goes back and runs the country after being convicted. I mean, I think that's part of what you're seeing there. But but to your point about vibes, and I, I, I think this is an important point too. One of Biden's problems is, and you're saying like that dark brand thing is a cool vibe, right? Our politics are so vibe ridden right now 
that like if you're trying to go out and sell policies it's just so stodgy and that's what what's that's what um dark brandon has no (laughs) dark brandon has policies right no he pushed through a shit ton of legislation sorry sorry for the swears and you know um like and legislation that could bring about amazing change on climate change and all these other issues but those are policies and they play stodgy in today's environment and he and right now it you know he he's like a vibe free candidate tr- pushing stodgy feeling policies and they, those policies matter by the way but they're not what people are interested in. They don't seem to, they're not a shiny enough object right now to get this people. This was Trump's big sort of revelation in 2016 because yep. he literally zero policy. I mean, he, there's not even a Republican platform anymore. He, he yep. got rid of it because it's all his vibe. Carrie, this is going to be our show. We promised a longer one. It was a longer one. Um, but it really sort of, I think, sets a table for what we're going to be seeing in the months ahead. We have one year now. Uh, probably less than one year, for, yeah, less than one year for the presidential election. Uh, it's going to be time for us to start ramping up as activists and start working to do the things we need to do to win. If anything, I wouldn't freak out about that New York Times Siena poll or any poll that you see from now, because all of them will show that the race is close in the battleground states. And this should not surprise anybody. We knew that. That's why they're called battlegrounds. In fact, we're in better shape because we have new battlegrounds in Georgia and and uh, Arizona, and they don't have any new battlegrounds. And in maybe our and maybe North Carolina. I mean, I think That's we're an existing you know, battleground. I'm, I'm counting that as like it's it's a long running battleground. So we're expanding, maybe North Carolina. Yeah, we're expanding I mean, right, the playing field, and yeah. so I like where we are. I'd rather be us than them. Absolutely. But people, I like where we were ahead of this election and people said, okay, great. Now we're going to do the work to win in New Jersey and in Virginia and in Ohio and in Kentucky. And they fought so hard in Mississippi and my heart breaks because all that hard work, but they're building infrastructure that will someday make Mississippi right. a competitive state. So I don't think it's a loss. It's just victory deferred. We're building on something and that spirit, that energy, we're going to need that going into next year. And nobody should think, or believe otherwise. This is never going to be easy. It was never going to be easy. And and it's okay to be a little scared of Donald Trump winning because it's effing terrifying. Yeah. But that's why we're going to work the way we are. And so I'm excited for the work that we're going to be doing. I'm excited about the opportunity. I'm excited about where we are as a country and how the country is rallying behind core democratic issues and how we as a party finally had a unifying message that plays in Kentucky and California and New York yeah. and even right, exactly. Canada, it is that we are for personal freedom and for democracy, for people to have <laughs> have a choice, to have the ability to have a say in their future and their politics and their community and neighborhoods. And Republicans have completely become the party of autocracy and a cult of personality. And so we have a lot to work with and we're going to have to do the work. Can I make one last uh, one last we, point and then we'll one say. last point? Is that if anybody's wondering what they can do outside of like getting involved in a local race or donating money or something like that, donating time, right? The best messaging thing you can do is just reminding all your anti-Trump, like, and I'm not talking about the Trump haters because they're going to vote for sure, right? But like the anti-Trump and like, you know, Trump squeamish, like family members and friends and whatever, that not only do they need to get out and vote, they can't just, they can't vote for a third party. A third party vote is a vote for Trump if Trump is the nominee, okay? So just like, 
this is something you can tell any of your anti-Trump friends. Don't just, you know, think about your vote and don't not vote. That's a vote for Trump. And don't go and vote and vote third party. That's a vote for Trump. Both of those are a vote for Trump. And everybody needs to remember that heading into next year. And it's, you know, you don't have to like belabor the issue. It's just a point to keep making over and over again. So that's our show, Carrie. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm glad we got the band back together. Thanks to Walter for uh, producing the show. Uh, we have a new person helping behind the scenes. Perry is our new social media person. So thanks to Perry for the work she is doing to spread the word. And thanks to you, the viewer, listener, reader, people who are part of this movement to save our democracy and to save our rights. So thank you for all the work that you do. I love you from the bottom of my heart and I can't wait for the work that we're gonna be doing in this year ahead. Thank you so much. Please like, follow, subscribe, do all those things. See you all next week. <laughs>